listen, uh, you've got to be, uh, you've got to become a Jew first before you can be a Christian. You've got to get, you know, you've got to get circumcised, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, you know, Jews are eight days old when they're circumcised, and, and so it takes a little bit of the pain out of it, all right, or, or the thoughts, but he's telling all these adults, I mean, just imagine if we were doing a new member class, and that's what they were trying to do here, we're doing a new member class, and, and one of the things in there was, hey, you got to get circumcised, it would be an all-women class, right? I mean, no man would go to that membership class, it would, it would but that's what was going on, and, and so, um, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, like, can you imagine you're Abraham, and uh, God says you got to be circumcised. He's, Abraham goes, wait a minute, Noah got a rainbow. You know, I mean, you know, think about that. But, uh, but anyway, that's what's going on here. And so they're going, and, and, and they're saying, you've got to go back. And so they were coming in behind Paul and getting them to go back to this uh, Jewish faith. And, uh, and so Paul wrote Galatians to contradict that, to correct that. And so this isn't in your outlines, but read with me, in ver- starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Galatians. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. This is what he, he was, an apostle. Man, he went all over. He, wasn't, uh, he was over a lot of churches, not just one church. And he said, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority. So he's kind of contradicting the people who were saying, you know, different. And he said, but I was appointed by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. And so he's, he's kind of setting himself as the authority of these people. Now, he had planted this church, and he goes, all the brothers and sisters here join me in, this, in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. So Paul's saying, I'm not the only one that's saying this. I've got all these other disciples, other believers who are with me on what I'm fixing to tell you. And he's fixing to reprimand them. And, and so he goes on, and he said, may the Father, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. And he goes, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. And that's the way Paul a lot of times started his books, with a salutation like that. And it was nice. But the next verse is kind of the key to this chapter. And, uh, and, and so the re- and we're, we're, where we're going to kind of camp out because... The rest of chapter 1 is kind of historical, and, uh, and so we don't need to necessarily go through that, but look what Paul says in chapter 1, verse 6. He said, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to underline that in your notes, a different gospel, because that's what it was. They were coming back, and they were preaching a different gospel than what Paul had preached. Paul preached, you're saved by what? Grace through faith, not of ourselves, so that we can't boast, and uh, and and so it, it was something that was given to us, and so they're coming back and said, no, 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 Paul didn't have it exactly right. You got to do this, and so he's correcting that, and so he, but he said, I'm astonished. So you know, in other words, he just gave them this nice first five verses, and then in verse six, he basically said, What are you doing? What are you thinking? Are y'all crazy? I mean, let's put it like West Bank, you know? I mean, you know, so he's getting on them here about deserting the one who called them to live in the grace of Christ. They've just been saved by grace, and, and now they're turning to this different gospel. And, and so these Jewish Christians were telling these new Christians who had no foundation, 
that they had to go go back and, and get circumcised, and that made it real hard to evangelize and to do, keep all the Jewish food laws and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you're following it, turn into this different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, is what Paul says. It's not the gospel at all. What is the gospel? The good news that Jesus Christ paid our bill. He paid the price for our sins. And he said, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to pervert the gospel. And we do the same thing today. I mean, think about it. We, we try and revert back to a performance-based religion instead of a relationship with a living Jesus Christ. We try and go back to where we're trying to earn God's favor. If I can just read enough chapters, I mean, you know, and all this. And, and let me tell you, a lot of people, uh, you've been exposed to being Christians, you know. I mean, uh, I read a, a story about a, a guy on an airplane and this lady sat next to him and, and it's flying out of New Orleans, and so she was like, she'd been on Bourbon Street a little while, you know, and, and she's got all the, the decorations, and first thing she does is order a drink, and, uh, and she looks, looks at him and, and says, um, says, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. She said, duh, we're all passengers. And, uh, and he said, no, I'm a pastor of a church. And she says, oh, well, I don't like Christians. And he said, he said well, neither do I, because he figured that, that he knew what she was talking about. She says, you have to like them. You're a pastor. And he said, no, I, I know the ones you're talking about. They're the ones that, that are real mean and strict and all that. And, and she says, yeah, and they say bad things about you, and they look at you funny if you're not dressed right and all that kind of stuff. He said, yeah, I don't like those either. That's why I had to go start my own church. It's kind of why we started this church, you know. And so, uh, you know, because we don't want anybody looking mean at anybody, you know. And so, uh, you know, but... How many of you have been to a church? I mean, I remember being in a church. I was already saved. But we wore jeans to church that night. And, and you know, it was in the 70s. I had long hair. And uh, in this church, there was a deacon stood by our row while they sang. It felt like 40 verses of Just As I Am Without One Plea. Looking down the row at me and my friends. Wanting us to go up. We were already saved. Yeah, how many of y'all been in a church like that? Okay, this isn't one of those, okay? And, and so, you know, that's what he's talking about. They're going to pervert the gospel and get you to go back to this performance-based thing. Guys, let me tell you something. We can't measure up. We never will measure up. And so that's, that's why it's a false gospel. It's a perversion of the gospel. So what we want to talk about is, is we're living free, but how can we be godly? Because that is important, to live a godly life. What's going to be our approach to serving God? Think about that for a minute. Most people approach serving God or being godly like other religions do. Christianity is the only religion where it was all done for us. Every other religion is you got to do something. Some religions, you got to kill an American, all right? Other religions, you got to do different things to, to be able to get favor from that God. Our God loved us so much, he let his son die for us. We're the only ones. We're the only ones. We're also the only ones with an empty grave. We're the only ones with an empty grave. So how do we get to do that? So we don't need to, we don't need to approach God the same way other, other religions do. We can approach him differently. And so let's, let's look back at, at really, I, I think it's so important, the approach. Let's look at Genesis 2. It's the first story in the Bible. And it says, The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. 
And, uh, and so we're going to see how God interacted with him. It said, the Lord made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. And in the middle of the garden, he pr- placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, most people, listen, most people think that Adam and Eve chose to walk away from God and to sin. I mean, we, you know, they took a bite of that apple. God told them not to. Probably wasn't an apple. I don't know what it was. It doesn't say it was an apple. But they ate the fruit and sinned, right? And most people think, well, they were just being rebellious. But I'm going to show you differently. They actually had a choice. I mean, if you think they were, they were really choosing to become more like God. Because look, look what it says as we read on. But the Lord warned them, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, what does it say? You're sure to die. You're going to die. Let me tell you what sin does. Sin kills you, kills your family, kills your dreams. Uh, I mean, it kills your emotions. It'll kill your, your career. Sin will do all kinds of things. And, and he's saying, that's what you're going to die. You're going to die. Not necessarily physically right then. But then it goes on in, in chapter 3. It says, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. The serpent. And one day he asked the woman, look what he says. Did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Now see, he's asking her a question and he's casting doubt in Eve's mind. And, and he said it just a little bit different than what God did. See, there, part of that was true. God did say don't eat, but he didn't say of any of the trees. He only said of two trees. He said, everything in Best Buy is yours, Robert, but this. And how many of you know when somebody tells us that, that's what we want right there, all right? And so they had, they had that choice. And, and so he said, did God really say? And then so, you know, he cast that doubt in there. And, and look, that's what the Jewish Christians were doing in Galatia. They were casting doubt into them about what the truth of the gospel was. And, uh, and so... They were doing it, and the same thing happens today. We, you know, we're bombarded in our culture. Well, you know, religion, we're just, we're put, Christianity is put in the form of a religion like every other thing. Let me tell you, folks, we're not a religion. It's a faith. It's a relationship with a living God. The rest of them is fake or fake. We follow a true God, a God who is alive, a God who loves us, but he will one day set things right. There will be a judgment day one time coming. But he, he said, did God really? And so he's just casting that doubt. And then, and then she says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. The woman replied, it's only the fruit from the tree of the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will what? Die. No, you won't, the serpent said. He said, you won't die. He replied to the woman. See, he's so in doubt in God and what he means, what he said. And then he gets them to believe it. Look, it says this. God knows your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And look, you want to be like God. And what does he say right here? You will be like God. He didn't play on Eve's rebelliousness or Eve's wanting to go out and be bad. He played on Eve wanting to be closer to God, to be more like God. And, and so he got her to sin to do it. And, uh, and so he said, You'll be more like God, knowing both good and evil. Then the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. See, she wanted 
to know what God wanted, what she thought God would want her to know. And so he just tricked her, and it tricked Adam. And so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave it there to her husband who was there with her, and he ate it too. And, and let me tell you, a lot of people, the woman, get, Eve gets a lot of bad rap for this. They said, well, Eve was tricked. Adam was standing right there, and he never piped up a word. And he's just like most of us guys. She said, eat this, and we said, okay, baby. You know, and he ate it. And, uh, you know, and so uh, he didn't do a thing to stop it. And look what happened. Look what happened. She gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, at that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame. Let me tell you, when we choose wrong, shame always follows. Now, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilty, when you're guilty, when you feel guilt, it's usually because you're guilty. Okay? Shame, guilty, what guilt says is, Robert, what you did was wrong. You shouldn't have done that. Let's do it different next time. I will, I will help you. God says, I'll help you. Shame says, Robert, you're no good. You'll never be any good. You might as well just quit. You'll never be able to be a good Christian. You're a terrible pastor. You're a terrible this, whatever. And, and that's what shame is. And shame is what happens when we choose to sin, when we choose that other gospel. We feel that shame, and that's what happened here. They felt that shame, and, uh, and so uh, then they, they covered up. You know, at that moment, their eyes were open. They felt shame in their nakedness, so they showed, sewed fig, fig leaves together to cover themselves. They chose the gospel of the knowledge of good and evil, not the tree of life. I preached on that one time, two trees, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And we want to eat and live under the tree of life. So write this down. One gospel, this kind of compares the two, focuses on what you do. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It focuses on what you can do. I mean, how many chapters of the Bible you can read a day? How much of it can you memorize? How, how long did you spend in prayer? You know, I don't care if somebody spent an hour in prayer. I don't have time to spend an hour in prayer in the morning like some people do that, uh, or whatever. And, and you, may feel, you may feel incompetent because you can't. You know, I remember reading about a pastor. He'd pray like six hours a day, and I'm going. It's just like, listen, that's performance-based religion, and it's dead. You need to have a relationship with Jesus, you know. And, and so instead of focusing on how many verses you read or, or how many good deeds you did, listen, when you focus on that, it's never enough. It's never enough. You might read five chapters. You might read uh, Psalm 119 in one day. I mean, try that one on for size. You can drive, if you're riding, you can read that one all the way from here to Baton Rouge. I mean, it's a long chapter, and... And so, you know, you can, it doesn't matter how much, you're always not going to be enough. So the focus should be on this next one. one. The other gospel, the true gospel, focuses on what Jesus has done. Write that down. It focuses on what Jesus has already done. See, Jesus paid it all on the price, on the cross. It's like you went to lunch and somebody bought your lunch for you. That's what Jesus did. My sin, I couldn't pay the price for. You can't pay the price for but Jesus did that on the cross. You know, and so when we feel guilty, uh, listen, we are guilty, but Jesus took care of that. Jesus took care of that. I mean, I am a sinner, but Jesus took care of my sin. We're the only religion where our sin is taken care of. 
You know, uh, we were flying with a Palestinian one time. Uh, to He was going to Jordan. Was it Jordan? No, he's going to Palestine. He had to go into Jordan. And Pastor Kathy was talking to him. And she just asked him, what do you do with sin? And he said, what do you mean? She said, well, see, we believe Jesus paid the price for our sin. And it's forgiven. We hung his head because he had to try and work it off. Hence, killing a few Americans or whatever, you know. I don't know. But uh, he was over here making money, so he probably wouldn't kill us. But, uh, you know, you need to focus on what Jesus has done. That's what the gospel does. We are a faith that rests on what Jesus did on the cross and on his resurrection. We can't earn it, but Jesus took care of it. Uh, you know, listen, when, we, when you read the Bible... I don't want you worrying about how many chapters you read. I want you worrying about did you find Jesus in it or not. Did you meet Jesus? You might read one verse and boom, it's speaking to you. And that's all you need to focus on today. You might read five chapters and miss Jesus. I don't know. You need to be focused on seeing Jesus and, and how you relate to him. So look at, as a matter of fact, look at John 5, 39 through 40. He says this. You search the scriptures. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. He said, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. Now, I love the word of God, and I'm not telling you not to read it. I think we need to read it every day. That's why we almost give away these one-year Bibles and stuff. But he said, listen, you think the word gives you eternal life, but the scriptures, Jesus said, point to me. You see, that's the thing a lot of people miss. The Bible, the whole thing points to Jesus. And so he said, the scriptures point to me, yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You got a lot of people who want to read the Bible and get a lot of head knowledge. But yet their life doesn't reflect a change that, that would reflect Jesus being alive in them. And so we need to understand that. So we focus on what Jesus has done. We focus on the Jesus of the scripture, not the scripture itself. One gospel focuses on God's approval, on getting God's approval. You know, here again, that's that hamster wheel. You know, there, there's a, you've just got to keep working to get God's approval. And, you know, a lot of people think God is angry at them all the time. In the, somebody did a study one time in different regions of the country have different viewpoints of God. And in the South, most people see God as an angry God. Uh, you know, and, and, and maybe you went to a church that saw that. I mean, you know, if, how many of you remember these old tracks, Chick Tracks? Remember them, Chick Tracks, anybody? They were these real colorful tracks, but they were always mean. And they always showed God looked like Abraham Lincoln at the Lincoln Memorial. You couldn't see his face. It's just sun coming out of there. And it was just like, kind of like the Wizard of Oz. You know, I mean, remember when Dorothy went up to the Wizard of Oz and, and, uh, and, and she had never met him. He goes, what do you want? And she's like, yeah, remember when you were a kid? Some of y'all still scared from that, right? And uh, those flying monkeys and stuff like that. And. And, and, but, you know, a lot of people have this picture of God. What do you want? Salvation. Well, go prove it. Go earn it. Go earn it, you know. And, and so that's not the God we serve. But too often that's the picture of God that we have. That's not who God is. We need to understand that. You know, uh, how you, listen, write this down. It's not in your notes. But how you see God will determine how you relate to God. How you see God. If you see God as an angry God... You're going to come like a, like a whimpering person to him. If you see him as a loving God, listen, he died so we could approach him with boldness. I mean, if you see him as a loving God, you're going to relate to him 
as your father. He says we can call him Abba, Daddy. He's our, he's our Heavenly Father. Some of y'all didn't have good fathers, but he's a good one. He's a good one. We, we can relate to him. So how we see God will determine how we relate to him. I mean, think about it. Some of y'all, and here's how kind of it plays out. If you see God as this angry God, you know, all of us, some of y'all have done some stuff this week uh, that you probably shouldn't have. Uh, so, you know, you're in church tonight, and, and maybe you're thinking while we're singing, I better not clap because I'd be a hypocrite because I was mad on the way over. Somebody cut me off in traffic, and I said a bad word, or I called a moron. That's my word, you know. And, and so I'm going to be a hypocrite if I clap. Or I better not sing too loud because I don't want to be a hypocrite because, you know, we see guys in jail all the time. I'll say, well, I'm not even going to worship God this time because I didn't take him with me last time I left, you know, at Rivard and stuff like that. And, and guys, let me tell you, <laughs> that's looking at the wrong God. What, the gospel we need to focus on focuses on receiving God's love, not trying to earn his approval. We need to receive God's love. Look what Paul said in Romans 5, 8. He said, but God showed his great love for us by what? Sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. One translation even says while we were still his enemies. And see, see, God sent Jesus to die for you and me. He, he died for me when I was being an idiot. He died for you while you were being an idiot too. Because he loves us. Look, he showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die. He died for me when he knew I was going to be making fun of Christians when I was younger. Calling them Jesus freaks and all that kind of stuff. See, God's love changes everything. Look at 1 John 4.19. We love because he first what? Loved us. I can't even love him except he loved me first. He loved me first. He said, Robert, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. You might as well give up, dude. You might as well just give up. He loved me first so I can love him. I mean, he loves us even when we're not doing right. See, the gospel that living under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil focuses on your external duty. You start thinking, oh, well, I've got to go to church. Now, be honest with me. How many of you have ever had that thought, well, I've got to go to church tonight? Be honest. I got my hand up, and I'm the preacher. Sometimes you feel that way, right? We don't need to feel that way. I mean, I, I hadn't felt that way in a long, long time. But we focus on that external duty. I got to, well, I got to do my quiet time this morning. Oh, I got to read. Oh, man. Did you see how long the readings were this morning? And the other focus is on internal desire. Let me tell you something. When you get to know God and you love God, it's like, all right, I get to read the Word of God this morning. I get to spend time in prayer with him. I get to go to church. Look, 1 John 5, 3 says, Loving God means keeping his commandments. And look at this. His commandments are not burdensome. Now, some of y'all just reverted back and said, Yep, I knew it had to do with commandments. But look, it says his commandments are not burdensome. And they're not as long as you're in love with God. You say, I don't have to work to be faithful to my wife Kathy back there because I'm crazy in love with her. So I don't look around at anybody else. I don't think about anybody else because I'm thinking about her. And, and so that's the way we need to be with God. When we're in love with God, we don't have to try uh, to keep a duty. He said, 
He said his commandments aren't burdensome. Look at 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So how do we approach life? How do we approach God? We want to live and eat from the tree of life. If you've got the Son, you've got life. You've got life. So how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to give you three things real quick. One, you fall in love with Jesus. You fall in love with Jesus. You're going to think this sounds too simple to to be true. You fall in love with Jesus. I mean, we love him. You You know how you fall in love with Jesus? You learn who he is and what he's done for you. The more I know who Jesus is, the more I love him. The more I see what he's done in my life, the more I love him. You see, when I really get to know who he is, look, God is not this angry God sitting in heaven ready to smack me down. He's a God that has a sense of humor. I see Jesus as having a sense of humor. When you read scripture, you'll see it in there. I mean, you know, it's, it's like, especially with Peter. I mean, you know, he's just got to go, Peter, Peter, Peter. And, 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 and don't you know that the disciples were all laughing and Jesus might have even laughed in the boat when Peter sunk after he was walking a little bit? You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, think about it. We have a God. The Bible says he sits in heaven and laughs. He loves you. He laughs. He's going, look at Robert, man. I love that dude. Come on, Robert. You, need, you can do better next time. See, we, we've got to, when I know who Jesus is, see, when you know what he's done, what, did, what has he done? Well, he forgave me. He's empowered me to live for him. He's given me spiritual gifts. He's given me a future. He's, he's given me a ministry. He's given me all kinds of things. I mean, you look at what he did. He paid my bill that I couldn't pay. I told you, I've told you about this guy who used to pay our bills uh, you know, when we'd be eating, if we were in a restaurant and he was in that restaurant, he'd pay our bill. I keep trying to find out where he's going to lunch next. But uh, anyway, you know, he, he would pay our bill. And that's what Jesus did. He paid your bill. You don't need to keep trying to go back to that old gospel and earn your way. Because you can't. You can't. And look at this next verse, John fourteen fifteen. It said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Now, how many of you have ever read that? You read that wrong. I've read it wrong for years. You see, we think that, well, we've got to obey him if we love him. No, he said, if you love me, you're going to obey me. Which side of the comma are you on? You see, the love comes first, and then I want to please him. If, if, you know, I love Kathy, so I want to please her. That's why I do things for her. I want to make her happy. I love God, so I'm doing what he wants me to do. And, and so which side of the comma are you on? Do you love him and then you obey him, or do you, are you in the obedience side hoping you'll love him one day? You see, I know people, I've known people, and they're usually not happy. They're, I'm going to obey God, it don't matter what. I'm going to obey God. You know, and, and, but they don't have that love part. See, if you love him, you're going to do what he wants. Why? Because you want to. Because you want to. So which side of the comma are you on? Secondly, don't allow condemnation. Write that down. I mean, don't allow it. That's what the Jewish Christians were doing behind Paul. 
They, they'll, and they'll do it here tonight. When you leave out of here, you're going to, somebody, will, might, it might even be somebody or a little voice in your head is going to say, no, that dude was wrong. That dude was wrong. You need to do these things to be able to be a solid Christian. And look, we do need to read the Bible. We do need to spend time in prayer. We do need to be in church. We do need the fellowship of each other. We do need all those things. But we do those things because of what he's done in our life. You see, I don't read the Bible to try and get his favor. Because, look, if somebody loves you enough to die for you, there's nothing else you can do to make you love them, make them love you more. You know, I've always said this about, about some of the terrorist acts. If somebody hates you enough to die killing you, but the flip of that is true. If somebody loves you enough to die for you so you don't have to, I can't do anything to make him love me more. And so I've just got to rely on that. Don't allow condemnation. You see, well, you, well, the temptation is to slide back over here into a performance-based religion that's dead, that becomes routine, that becomes something you do, not who you are. Don't allow condemnation because the devil will sneak in and say, well, you know, you, you've been pretty bad. You didn't, you didn't read your Bible today. Anybody ever had that condemnation thrown on you? Or you know what, you left the house, you didn't pray this morning. Or you were, were arguing all the way to church and you walked in and said, and smiled when somebody said, how are you today? And you went, oh, I'm fine. And you are trying to kill somebody in the car just a little while ago. <laughs> And, and, and so, you know, that condemnation will heap on us. I love Romans 8.1. It says this. Here's how you can kind of know that you're living, uh, uh, you know, in, in the wrong tree is, uh, is how you view other people's sin. You know, you can't judge unless you're in the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But here's what, what Paul said. There's now no, what? No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, if you're living for the Lord, there's absolutely no condemnation. Now, when you trip up, when you sin, God sends a little conviction your way, and he said, what you did is wrong, but he doesn't say you're wrong. He said, Robert, when you cut that person off in traffic and gave them the ugly eye, that was wrong, but he doesn't say, Robert, you're a bad guy. And by the way, I hadn't done that in a while. But, but you know, it, it's like, you know, he convicts us to get us to change. Satan puts shame on us to get us to give up. And so we don't want to allow that. That's what condemnation does. He said, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Because Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives what? Life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, Jesus came so that we don't have to live under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't have to live on that performance wheel where we're just running and running and running and trying to be good enough. We get to live over here where we're forgiven. Now, all those things are important, but we do them for a different reason. We do them for a different reason. The Spirit gives us life, not the law. Look at number three. We've got to do this. We've got to make the choice every day. Every day we've got to choose to follow Christ. We've got to choose to live by the gospel that Paul preached from the tree of life not from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil not from the look what look at last scripture and we're going to pray God said this in Deuteronomy he said today I've given you a choice between life and death between blessings and curses now I call on heaven and earth to witness 
the choice you make. And then God says this, oh, that you would choose what? Life. So that you and your descendants might live. God wants us to choose life. We want to live under the tree of life. Which means we've got a relationship with Jesus. I want you to bow your heads. I want to invite you tonight to live under the tree of life. To live under the real gospel. So I just want to want to offer you, if you, you, may, you may have been coming to church, you might have been like me. I went to church from the day I was born through 17, when is when I finally really committed my life to the Lord. You may have been coming for years and have never made that personal relationship real in your life. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. So just pray this prayer silently where you are. This is just you and God praying this. You talk to God. So, Father, I just pray, God, for each person that they will call out to you tonight. Just pray this with me silently where you are. Dear God, thank you for dying on the cross, Jesus, for me. Please forgive me of all my sin. Come into my life and be my Savior. As best I can, I surrender control of my life to you and I invite you to live inside me and I invite you to transform me tonight into the person you want me to be it's in your name I pray so if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer Jesus just came in your life he forgave you we want to let him transform us see he loves us right where we are but he loves us too much to leave us where we are so let me pray for you. You may be here tonight, eyes closed, heads bowed. You may be here tonight and, and maybe you've been camped out under this tree of legalism. You know, you do things because you know you're supposed to do them. Nothing wrong with reading the Bible. Nothing wrong with, with uh, spending time in prayer. Nothing wrong with witnessing, giving, and all that kind of stuff. Unless you're doing it for the wrong reason. Maybe you've been doing it, trying to earn God's favor. I want to pray for you tonight. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. Because I know some of us do that. I tell people I'm a recovering Pharisee. I'm pretty well recovered by now, I think. There was a time. There was a time. So, Father, I just lift up each person here tonight that maybe has slipped onto that hamster wheel and they're running and they're not getting anywhere and they're reading your word they're praying they're, they're doing it to try and earn your favor which you've already given them so God I just pray for them right now I pray that your word in Galatians tonight will permeate their hearts and that God you will set them free so that they can follow the gospel Paul preached. The gospel that says we're saved by grace through faith. So Lord, we're not saved by what we know and don't know. We're saved through a relationship with your son, Jesus Christ. So Lord, let that get into us. 
Lord, I pray that we do all those things because we're happy to do them, because we love to do them. God will give you all the glory for what you're going to do in each person's life. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, I want to encourage you, stay off that hamster wheel. It's easy to get on it, but it leads to shame. I believe God has good things for each one of you. God wants to deliver you from things. He wants to provide for you for things. But the devil will sneak in and he will try and put shame back in your heart.